Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Oh, I forgot my introduction. Sorry. You can just make one up, you know. Good morning. It's Chris and John live from Berkeley. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. And I'm your host, Chris Adinius, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought about the big questions to share their conclusions. To explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format will help us approach the truth and have a great time. Please email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com if you'd like to join the conversation. I would love to hear from you. Brother John Vianney Russell, OP, is a Dominican friar studying philosophy and theology at the Dominican School here in Berkeley, California at the Graduate Theological Union. He completed his undergraduate education at St. Mary's College in California and has a J.D., Juris Doctor from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. in 2016. Why should a young lawyer join the Order of Preachers? I will ask him. But the main reason we're talking today is because he has made a habit of chatting with homeless people, which is something I've been working at as well. So good morning, Brother John Vianney. Thank you so much for for joining me. I would say this beautiful morning, it will be beautiful at the moment, it's still dark. <laughs> That's right. Good morning, Chris. Very happy to chat with you about these things. These really important topics uh, in our country, in our world, but particularly in uh, this Bay Area that we're struggling to to relate to our homeless people. Right. Amen. Um, well, let's start off with a with a joke, if you have one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So my my joke is more of a, a personal story. I was in France. Uh, let's see. Maybe this is like. I don't know, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for whatever reason, I only had like a euro and a half. I had like 150 with me. And I went to this nice French bakery and I wanted to get a chocolate croissant. So I got a chocolate croissant and it was, I think it was 175. And the, the very nice lady behind the counter, I said, you know, I'm sorry, I only have 150. And her English wasn't very good and my French was awful. And so she, she kind of gestured to me. It's like, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, we'll take 150. And at the moment I had to say thank you in French. Like that's mm-hmm. like the, the bare minimum I could do is speak French and say thank you. But of course I forgot how to say even that in French, <laughs> but I had to say something positive. So what I came up with um, was je t'aime beaucoup. Oh, which of, which of course means I love you very much as, <laughs> as spouses might love each other. <laughs> and she, she died laughing and was explaining to, to all the other French people in the bakery. Like, this silly American just told me that he loves me just because I gave him the chocolate croissant. <laughs> that's all it takes for Americans. Yeah. Uh, so that's my funny story. That's very good. That's very good. Um, so would you tell us a bit about your life and how you became a Dominican brother? Yeah, and also, sure. just in general, how does the process of vocation and discernment work? Is it a feeling, a voice, a choice? How does that work? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm from um, Los Angeles. I grew up in Pasadena, California. Uh, my folks still live there. Um, I grew up Catholic. 
Um, and I was always kind of interested in like claims about the truth and like, just like the big, the big questions of like the meaning of life and these things. Um, and we were, yeah, certainly a faithful Catholic household, but I never understood like the reasons for what we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed to me that religion was just something like um, ethnicity or just like your kind of general culture. Like I might be Catholic, but my neighbors might be a different religion. We have cheeseburgers, they eat pita bread. I mean, it's just, it's just a difference in like where, where you grew up and kind of what your family traditions are. Yeah. Um, and so without that kind of firm, rational understanding of our faith, um, I think it was hard for me, certainly starting in maybe high school. Um, I was on the speech and debate team because again, like this idea of like, there's these truth claims. We're talking a lot about things like justice and virtue and how does the world work and what should we be doing? What are our moral obligations? What is the meaning of this whole, this whole experiment on, on earth? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, starting in high school, it was hard for me to like not have that foundation of what we believe. And so then leading into college, um, I really lost, lost my faith for a couple of years, maybe. Um, and it wasn't until my junior year, um, I'd actually gone, I'd actually come to this conclusion that Christianity and like religion generally was a nice idea. Yeah. Um, and it keeps people generally from doing absurd things. It, it calls you to be virtuous, even if it's totally made up. And that was kind of the, the social purpose of religion. Yeah. Um, which by the way, if that's its social purpose, it doesn't do a very good job of that. <laughs> um, and so my, it was uh, my junior year, I was studying abroad in England and I decided to go online to actually provoke Christians. I was going online to like kind of have that's debates great. and kind of mock yeah. Christians. Um, and I've actually landed on this forum of actually really brilliant, like theologians. It's most, it's mostly lay people, but just brilliant people who know the faith and are able to defend it in a way that's not like ridiculous or kind of ramming it down your throat, but actually answering the hard questions. Like there's these dark passages in the old Testament. What are we supposed to do with those? Now, is this a forum that still exists? Is this something you can recommend to us? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, I have to remember the specific name of it, but it's like defenders of the Christian faith or something. Um, I can find that and get back to you. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put that in the notes in any case, even if it's later today. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're still around, definitely. Um, yeah, so um, that, that experience of like, okay, here's some people that actually take their faith seriously and are able to defend it rationally. That's a big theme I want to hit on is that there's, there's reasons to believe, there's reasons to know what we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that in accord in, uh, combined with what I was reading at the time for my studies, I was in a great books program at St. Mary's College called the Integral Program. And during my during our junior year, we read Thomas Aquinas oh, wow. um, and St. Augustine. And yeah, again, guys that are really defending the faith from a rational point of view, things that I'd never experienced. And that was a whole, a whole mind shift for me was we believe our faith because it's true, not just because you were raised in this culture, which now seems crazy to me. But the, at the time, I remember yeah. thinking like, I can't, I can't even wrap my mind around that. That's a crazy claim. Um, so that's a little bit of my kind of. And did you get there point. through reason that, you know, what, what these uh, saints <clears throat> are writing makes perfect sense? Because for me, I've gotten there much more through sort of this 
I don't know if it's mysticism, but sort of the appreciation of miraculous things I can't otherwise explain. Mm. Um, yeah. Were you able to arrive there through reason and, as, you know, as a debater and stuff like that? Right. Certainly I had, I had intellectual objections. And so that was, that was my kind of first opening up back into the faith was um, being able to explain it rationally was, a, was, a, was important to me. Yeah. And yet, as you, I think you rightly mentioned, we still have this component of faith. It's not just rationalism. There's, yeah. there's faith and reason. Um, and so the explanation of faith, which I think is right from Augustine and Thomas, talking about our minds are limited. It's, it's an important part of who we are. It, we're rational animals, but also faith goes beyond what we can know. It's not contrary to reason, but it's mm -hmm. just beyond reason. Um, so I think that's a, that's a really important point too, of being able to make sense of those, those two things um, in the Catholic faith is really important. Okay. Um, so how about so, yeah. your vocation and, and discernment? Yeah. So once, once I kind of had that intellectual conversion, I kind of slowly started making the, the emotional uh, or the, the lived um, conversion. Um, and so, yeah, I eventually started kind of looking back on my life and seeing the ways that God was kind of moving me even before. Um, yeah, so I should say after college, I graduated. I was working at a law firm for two years. And I really was starting to look at my life more seriously and how the Holy Spirit may have been moving me. Um, and before applying to law school, um, I kind of felt this, this call. I had a real, I really identified with my parish priest when I was growing up, um, just really took the sacrament seriously and a real, real love for the church. Hmm. Um, and so I kind of, I got a spiritual director for a little while and I kind of talked to him but I kind of concluded, you know, I want to be in the world. I don't want to be some priest locked away in a rectory, says mass on Sundays, here's confessions. And then just, it's kind of just alone <laughs> doing nothing stuck out of the world, which is my view of the priesthood at the time, which is kind yeah. of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so then I, I'd gone to law school, which I really loved. I really enjoyed that. And being in DC was great. Um, got to go to the Supreme court a couple of times. That was really wonderful. And hmm. um, there's a good Catholic tradition also in the, in the legal community of people that take the natural law seriously um, and see their faith as informing kind of forming, shaping society according to the natural law, which I found to be really beautiful and really helpful to my faith. Um, so yeah, once I graduated law school, I started discerning more seriously. I got a good spiritual director and I was dedicated to, to that only. Um, Certainly, it's it's not easy, and there were yeah. there were obstacles. But um, I think the keys there are to get a spiritual director if you're discerning, uh -huh. and prayer. Um, I guess that's kind of cliche to say that, but it's just so true. You can't yeah. you can't discern properly if you don't have a life of prayer, mm -hmm. especially around at least silence for part of the day. It's really important. That's I think that's how God speaks to us is in the silence. We can really kind of dredge up our desires beyond just the shallow level of like, I'm hungry or thirsty or tired. <laughs> There's yeah. deeper desires there that we need to pull up and analyze. And you start just by taking a few minutes and then a few more minutes and then a few more minutes and it, and it grows like yeah. any living thing. Yeah. I, I think that's a really nice analogy actually. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's all about consistency, which I, I think that's an important part of prayer. Mm -hmm. I think at some point I was trying to just like, okay, like, one day a week, I'm just going to like, like on Sundays, for instance, go to mass and just like do a lot of prayer. And I think that's maybe a good starting point for mm -hmm. some people, but reading the saints and, and the church also, 
um, it's important to have a consistent prayer life. Cause like you said, it builds on itself. So if you're just doing these, like <laughs> these binge prayers once a week, it's, yeah. it's maybe not as helpful as just a little bit of prayer every day. You can remember what you prayed yesterday and you can kind of think about what you're going to pray on tomorrow. And every day you're kind of doing a little bit as opposed to just forgetting what you're doing and then just doing it once a week. Okay. Um, so yeah, that would be my, my tip. Also the rosary mm. is a really beautiful, really beautiful way to kind of enter into prayer. It's important because we're asking um, the Blessed Virgin for her intercession, for her help constantly. But we're also meditating on like the important, the most important parts of Christ's life. Um, I think that helps us enter into a relationship with him. Yeah. Okay. So from um, your praying, uh, your your discerning and speaking with a spiritual director, how did you get from Mm -hmm. there to the Dominicans? And who, who, what is the order of preachers? Yeah. Um, So when I was in law school, right across the street from Catholic University is the Dominican House of Studies, the Eastern Province Dominicans. Um, So I I had met them and I wasn't even thinking about joining them at the time. Um, I had a girlfriend and um, I I was just going over there for prayer, which was really beautiful. And I think I met them. I think I was in the bookstore in like the philosophy section. I just ran into one of them (laughs) and uh, they just invited me over for, for dinner and prayer. Um, I think they knew what they were doing, but I didn't know what I was doing, (laughs) but yeah. So that was, that was really beautiful. Just spending time with them, their intellectual life, their community really, really spoke to me um, in a way that um, later, once I was finally discerning, I kind of thought about. Um, So, First, I went to a, a Jesuit high school called Loyola in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I discerned the Jesuits first. Um, I was there for like 10 days. They have like a 10-day a, a program for just, just guys that are kind of interested, not that you're signing up for anything. Um, and it just wasn't quite my culture. Um, and I, then after that, I remembered the Dominicans. And so I visited here out in California, um, our headquarters. Mm-hmm. Our mother house is in Oakland. And so I visited St. Albert's Priory, where I'm living now. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, that's a beautiful yeah. church. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful chapel, a beautiful space that we have here, a yeah. nice cloister. We're very lucky to have it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the culture just really fit. There's a really strong intellectual life, but also something that really appealed to me was the community, the community aspect. Um, that's That was really something that drew me particularly to this province and to the Dominicans generally. Um, both the intellectual life and the community. Um, and I think we have this nice balance of we're very much um, in tune with the cloister and the community, the regular life, prayer, um, and the whole idea of the Dominican charism is we take our, our study, our prayer, and our community, which is growing up, helping us to grow in sanctity, but we also share the fruits of that contemplation, prayer, and study with the world, with people that maybe don't have so much time to do those things. Um, and that's something that really appealed to me. This idea of like arguing and debate and finding out what the truth is has really led me down the, the path of apologetics, which I really enjoy doing that. I just, <laughs> I just mm-hmm. really enjoy anytime someone, especially like a close friend who's maybe a fallen away Catholic, yeah. ask a question, a tough question, a, a good question about why does the church do this? Like yeah. the social teachings of the church are so backwards. Why does the church do this? I really uh, yeah, I'm on fire to answer those questions. Yeah, 
And do you find answers ready? Uh, you know, are they provided to you at the moment, even if you don't know them, that the Holy Spirit will say something? Or do you find yourself saying, well, I don't know, we're 2,000 years old and some things are odd? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, having done it for... I don't know, maybe, maybe 10 years now, I, you know, because I've been, I've been trying to answer these questions myself. Yeah. I, I was, I lost my faith because of them. Um, yeah, I'm, I have, I have some kind of bank of answers in my, in my mind that um, I think are true and help to explain the teaching of the church in a way that kind of turns the tables. It's like, well, I understand that you think that's contrary to modernism, but maybe let me propose to you that Maybe there's some issues with modernism yeah. <laughs> that that the church gets right, that the church is is right to critique and to to put back on itself. Um, so yeah, I think I st- I have some answers, but also I do feel like in time where I'm kind of like, geez, that's that's a really good question. I yeah. don't quite have the answer. I think the Holy Spirit is is able to humble me and say, sometimes I don't know. Let me get back to you, or some new insight that I hadn't thought of before. Yeah, that's a good question. Do you have a favorite one? I know this is kind of off the list of our questions. Is there a favorite discussion you find yourself? Like, you know, when you're in the bookstore dressed as a Dominican and there's somebody <laughs> in the philosophy section and he says, what about, uh, what What would they be? Would they be like about, um, you know, recently we talked a lot about uh, gay Catholics or mm. um I know that you know when we did the synod here at uh, in in my parish, a lot of a lot of the parishioners were, you know, really ad- animated about women's ordination and things like that. Is that something that mm-hmm. people come at you with, and you have something to say, or, or is it different stuff? Not not as political, not as superficial. I don't know, not that those things are superficial, yeah. but like not as worldly. I should say more about yeah. like how do we even know there is a God instead of you know a bunch mm-hmm. of random events. Yeah. Yeah, usually, um, yeah, the, the the tough, challenging questions don't come from just like people on the street. Usually, people on the street are are very are are very curious and like will kind of keep their distance <laughs> yeah. when they see us. When they see us in habit, but yeah, just maybe just like acquaintances, but all, but also close friends. Yeah, will sometimes sometimes reach out or just just through conversation. Yeah, just ask the tough questions. Um, yeah, same sex marriage abortion, women's ordination, and certainly just like, how do we even know that God exists? But maybe generally the question I get the most is just like, why does, like, why does the church have so many rules? Hmm. Like, we're just, we're just trying to be good humanists. Mm-hmm. We just want to care for other people. And like, that's it. Just be a good person. Don't be a jerk. That's like, <laughs> that's like a really standard question. Just be a good person. It's like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, I think a good answer, which certainly the church fathers, the church herself. Um, I think Bishop Barron has done a good job of explaining mm-hmm. this. I think a good answer to like, why are there so many rules is that it helps us to engage with each other in a way of love. And I might even suggest, I might even go so far as to say like playfulness or like enjoyment. Hmm. Bishop Barron has this great example of try to go play baseball. I want you guys to play baseball, have a good time, enjoy yourselves. And by the way, there's no rules. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> we're not we're not really going to be able to do yeah. anything. We at least have to agree that, like, okay, like this is what a, this is what the ball looks like. This is what a bat looks like. We're not going to use any other kind of bats. We're using this bat. Here are the lines of the field. Yeah. If the ball goes over this fence, that's a home run. There's rules for us to enjoy each other for like society. Um, and if we have a true human nature, an objective human nature, which that yeah. that fact has just gone has been totally destroyed by modernism in my humble opinion 
Um, mm-hmm. But if there is an objective human nature, then there's certain things that we should respect about that, that we're truly made in the image of God, then that certainly informs how we should treat each other. Yeah. Um, and so we can make judgments about same-sex marriage, abortion, women's ordination, according to our human nature and how that respects to our worship of God. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good metaphor um, about like, if there are no, about no rules and we get chaos instead of, you know, yeah. somewhere on yeah. that between chaos and order, there's a, 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 um, the correct balance. Um, right. Uh, well, I'm sure if, if I keep going on this path, we'll talk about this for an hour, but that's, that's, we have, we have other questions. So, um, so your name is uh, brother John Vianney Russell, and yes. I'm sure you were not born John Vianney. How did, who is no, St. Right. John Vianney and how did you choose him? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, yes. So uh, St. John Vianney is a French saint born in the late 1700s. And I think he died in the late or mid 1800s. Um, yeah. So I, I'm really drawn to him because um, I I was never like a big grades guy when I was in high school. <laughs> I was always getting bad grades mm. and he's a, a good example of, yeah, he wasn't, a grades guy either. I think he barely passed through seminary and it was just because his, the Bishop knew him and knew his love for Christ that, um, he was actually able to pass seminary and finally made a priest. Um, so there's that part, but there's also his, a deep love, um, for the Eucharist and a a really, a a really expressed love for confession. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I really am drawn to confession myself. The sacrament of confession is something important to me both because I use it, but also I just feel drawn to, to hopefully hearing confessions one day. I think it's a really important piece and it really, um, yeah, breaks my heart in some, in some parishes, unfortunately, where it's, they don't have confessions regularly scheduled or they're not really available for that. It's just such an important part. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure you've noticed that too. But I haven't. I always find because uh, I we live in such a, a metropolitan area that I just mm. look online and there's so, there's always a confession somewhere. Yeah, but yeah, certainly. Yeah, there's, if you live somewhere far away them. from, you know, I don't know. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean, yeah, it's easy to like go around and find different churches, but I think it's important for each parish. Like, yes, uh, this is, maybe this goes to this kind of theme of like parish identity as opposed to parish shopping, which we can talk about, but. Yeah, at my parish, I know my priest, and on Saturdays and Wednesdays, there's confession that I can go to. Yeah, um, so it's such an important part of like, just even just the modern mindset. Not even Catholics, just like I have these kind of things that I'm not really proud of doing, and I don't know really what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Like, are they? Is this just something that sticks with me, or like, how do I get rid of this thing? Yeah, um, and I think it's an important part of spiritual warfare, especially, is to name our sin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some great traditions within the Dominican order. We have a book called the lives of the brethren that kind of goes through the history of the order. And it talks about kind of spiritual warfare in some, in some cases. And there's one place <laughs> in the priory that this, that the devil is afraid to go. We have a room called the chapter room, um, mm. where we talk about our faults. We have something called chapter faults where we kind of announce what we've done wrong in the community so that we can kind of build up our community and identify what we've done wrong. So our brothers know that we're aware of our faults. And so there's this tradition that, that Satan won't enter into the chapter room because that's where the sins are named out loud. Mm-hmm. And that's what he hates. The accuser, his power is taken away. Yeah, He has no power if we're naming our own sins. And so confession is really important. So that's a long way of saying 
I'm really drawn to St. John Vianney. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I find there's something, if you can say it out, you know, like the old, um, uh, the old adage, you're only as sick as your secrets, which I've heard, you know, from alcoholics yeah. and, and, but it could be anything. It could be, you know, like yeah. if you can name something, then you are something different than the thing you've named. Right. And so therefore you've separated it from you. It's like some horrible parasite that you've pulled off of your spinal cord and you put out exactly. on a table in the light. And once you put it out and it's separate from you, then you're, then you can, I don't know, array yourself with the, with the forces of God against it rather than have it be part of you. You know exactly. I I think that's I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, having it having it identified as something separate from you. It's not you. Of course, we we participate in our sin and we yeah. we cause our own sin, no doubt. But to say this is this is something that's not me. That's yeah. exactly why it's sinful. God made me for something that's not this. Like you said, a parasite in the light. And now that we've named it, I can kind of think about with my friends and my community, my church. How do I attack this sin? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, I'm so sad that some people are not having confession. Because that's, you know, I think yeah. we talk about this with our Protestant brothers and sisters. Like, this mm. is so liberating and they think it's not. You know, they think that a confession is some kind of, I don't even know what they think it is. Like, you know, <laughs> like truth or dare or something. Who knows what the heck they <laughs> think. But it's so liberating that you can just put it down and walk away. Put it down and walk away over and over again as many times as it takes. Yeah, and it could be your whole life. Too. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Just on that note, I, I think it's biblical too. God bless yeah. our um, our our Protestant brothers and sisters and their uh, adherence to Scripture. Um, and I I think the sacraments are are highly biblical. Um, yeah, confessing our sins and and explaining our faults to each other, um, fraternal correction, all of these things are in the Bible. So yeah, yeah. All right. Well, as Bishop Barron tells us, and I'm sure you agree that the, the church uh, is has three missions, which are prayer, evangelization, and care for the poor. And here we are uh, in Berkeley, California, across from San Francisco, two very rich cities in the richest state, in the richest and most powerful country in the history of the world. The voters tend to be progressive. They don't mind paying high taxes for the things they get from the government. And I think it's fair to say they really care for the homeless. And yet we seem to be making very, very little progress in this area. According to um, an article, which I'll attach here uh, from Stanford's Stanford University's Hoover Institution, San Francisco spends $57,000 per homeless person per year, yet the number of homeless people has gone up from 12,000 to 19,000 in the last five years. It's about 2.2% of the city population and is 12 times the national average. Uh, if you just drive down Berkeley, sometimes you see entire um, encampments of people in tents, some of them quite advanced, like they have solar panels outside so they can charge their phones. Um, what are we doing wrong? And, and here, you know, what, what are we doing wrong and what have you learned? Yeah, it's a great question. And those are, those are good um, humbling statistics. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. It just seems like we could be doing a lot more with, with those resources, but, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's good to just start out by saying, um, what, yeah, what does success in this area look like? Um, I think in my experience, there's, there's some, um, homeless people that they just, they just simply don't want to be in an apartment or, um, certainly they, they're in, it's important to them to have secure, safe housing that's keeping them from the elements. No, no question. But, um, there, there are certain people in my experience that just, they don't, 
they don't want to have to deal with the rules and regulations that come with with like apartments and hmm. firm buildings and things. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think what success looks like, um, and that's okay, right? It's a free country if you want to. That's right. I I think that's I think that's completely okay. But yeah, just just to say like like I don't think it's I don't think success looks like necessarily we need to drive that number down as far as possible. I think the issue is really the hurt, mm. the loneliness, the isolation from the housed community and the unhoused community. Um, yeah, I think. Okay. Yeah. To, so, so like trying to corral people into some kind of thing that would be treating symptoms, but there's a, there's a deeper right. cause you're going for. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah, just, just because we took people from tents and put them into an apartment, that doesn't mean that the problem is solved. There's mm-hmm. still isolation and separation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've, I've spent some time in the, the Tenderloin in San Francisco, just, just a little bit of time there mm-hmm. and some time with, um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's various encampments in, in Berkeley and Oakland, maybe people's park is the most famous, mm-hmm. um, which is now, which is now being developed. Right. And there's apartment buildings being built there, or maybe it's even dorms. I'm not sure. It's supposed you know? to be dorms, but this is not the first, yeah. like they've done, they've tried this over and over and over again. And yeah. um, there's a little bit of pushback and the university stops. So I don't know that mm-hmm. it will happen this time. Yeah. I mean, I'm skeptical. Yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so just, just to promote this idea of like yeah. bridging this gap between um, the housed and the unhoused of just a building community and remembering that, that they're part, I mean, even saying part is not enough. They are our community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these aren't separate communities. Um, these are the people that live with and among us. We should be welcoming of them. We should be interacting with them. We should be hearing what their problems are and frankly sharing our problems with them. There's, this is a two-way street of having these conversations. Mm. Um, I found I found the, the homeless to be deeply spiritual people. Um, mm. Their spirituality is often all over the place. But it's very rare in my experience to find like an atheist homeless person. And I think that comes from like an identification of their very real suffering. Like they're going through a lot of suffering. Um, They're dealing with a lot of different things. And I think their identification of something higher is easier to see in that state as opposed to this kind of just entertainment, constantly being satiated kind of upper class life that we sometimes live. Not to say that people in the upper class don't suffer. But there's a different kind of suffering um, that's hard, harder to avoid, and harder to forget um, in those in those communities. Um, and I think it's also important to mention, like, just the mental health problem that's mm-hmm. associated with homelessness. I think it's I think that's a two way street too. That maybe just it's just a financial problem that that leads to homelessness, and then homelessness can kind of lead to substance abuse. But it's also just mental health can lead to homelessness, and that can itself lead to substance abuse. And, these things go back and forth. Um, they go both ways. I think it's something like 25% of, uh, of the homeless have like a serious mental health problem. Um, and I think it's up to like 45% just have some, some kind of mental challenge, um, in general. So it's a lot, it's a big part of that community. Yeah. Um, and of course, substance abuse is, is a big part of it. Um, but I don't think we should let these things be obstacles to us mm-hmm. quite the opposite these people that are really suffering with these really, really real challenges should inspire us to kind of enter into community with them more often and to, and to kind of see that part of their life. I think we're not used to 
we're not used to dealing with people that have mental health problems. And I think we should maybe learn how to do that better. Yeah. Well, I, frankly, that 25% to me seems low, maybe because of my prejudice has blinded me uh, Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, there are a few panhandlers who are quite approachable, at least for, you know, a a guy like me, who's 45 and 220 pounds, Uh, (laughs) a woman outside of a grocery store with a sign that says I have four children is very easy to buy a bag of groceries for, or, or a guy who's standing outside a, you know, um, a store, I can buy him a sandwich. Sometimes when right. I buy him a sandwich, he's gone by the time I come out. So I always buy a sandwich that I would not mind eating myself. <laughs> but then other people are far more complicated. And just as we had the gospel last week about Lazarus and the rich man, um, I tend to see homeless people in these terms. And Lazarus had dogs licking his wounds. And in some cases, our right. homeless people are also unwell and unclean. They can be physically unclean. Mm-hmm. They might smell like urine or have tangled dreadlocks or weird pit bulls. But they might also be kind of like, as you say, possessed by what I think must be demons, which are, you know, drug addiction or, or madness or schizophrenia. Uh, mm. And it makes it really hard to talk to them. Those those are the hardest people. You know, it's easy for me just to yeah. walk around and go look for somebody else. I, I'm guessing you don't you don't take that low road. I bet you'd talk to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I want to make one distinction and just say, yeah. I think I think possession and mental health um, issues. Oh, say, yeah, things. say, yeah, please say about yeah. that. Because yeah, I'm yeah, looking I, at it as sort of like an anthropologist, you know, who doesn't see much sure. possession. Even I'm sure it's there, but it, it's it's hidden in the world of electric lights in a way it probably was not 2000 mm. years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just just to say that, like, yeah. these, these are separate things. You, you can be you can have um, possession. Right. Yeah. And still be very mentally capable and all kinds of things. But also you can uh, be possessed leading, like you said, to like things like substance abuse and other things. And, and certainly have the symptoms or even the actual illness of mental illness. So yeah, I'm sorry. They, they I, spoke, I spoke very carelessly because no, no, yeah, okay. we believe possession is a real thing. And I'm just using it right. as a, you're in the grips of something, you know, something sure. very, very bad, which can be madness sure. or addiction. Yeah, certainly. And in, and in the Bible, yeah. um, you know, the, the people that, that Christ encounters um, certainly seem to have both things, right? There's possession and also some kind of mental illness going on, it seems to be. So um, anyway... Yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's it's really hard to engage with these um, with certain, some of these people sometimes. Um, yeah, and sometimes, like you said, <laughs> you can offer someone a sandwich and then they're not even there. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I've had the experience of um, yeah buying something for someone, and they say like, I don't want that. Like what? <laughs> I, like I want cash. I don't want your food. It's like yeah. okay, well, yeah. Um, yeah. So I I think that's that's just part of life, right? I, I think drawing this analogy to our like, um, I don't know, to our normative or to our typical friendships, I think is important. Like, certainly, I have friendships where I do something for someone, like you know, someone I grew up with or something, um, who's who's also, you know, part of the house community, and like a friend to say, you know, you gave me this thing, but I don't want that. Like, why did you do that for me? <laughs> and so this isn't this isn't unique to like the unhoused community. So I think that's an important thing to remember. But yeah, and we have friends, and maybe friends of friends or acquaintances, acquaintances that, like you said, are, um, yeah, smell bad or have weird pit pulls. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's that's a great image of like the homeless person is just right. like tattoos, smells bad, yeah. it's got weird dogs. Like that yeah. seems like someone I'm not really going to engage with. But yeah, I think we can we can try to do that anyway, and certainly we should we should be aware of our safety and their safety, 
and not do something that we think is unsafe, but yeah. also take a little bit of a risk to just build a relationship and say, I see you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also like they, the other thing is they gather lots of stuff. Cause you would think that I'm homeless. Mm-hmm. I'm free of attachments. I walk where I walk. I, I blow mm-hmm. in the wind, but if I'm dragging a big bag of, of junk or a big shopping cart of junk, like I am attached to other things. They're just things that you don't value. And that's an interesting revelation um, mm. that they're, they're, they're not these, you know, they're not hobos riding the rails in the thirties. They're right. um, there's some, there's something else. There's something else going on. So um, yeah. Yeah. Have, have you had, uh, you know, have you been able to get, get into it and, and have a really meaningful dialogue so it's very interesting to me that you say that they're that they are quite spiritual and i i imagine that because you know there's no atheists in foxholes and when you are fighting you know for me like just like confession like if i've really messed up that's when i'm the most spiritual because i've been i'm I'm like the guy who comes to the temple and says have mercy on me a sinner way more than the guy who comes to the temple and says oh i'm so great yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) yes same uh yeah i i think that's i think that's a great point about um yeah, it's just, yeah, this, the suffering and like, yeah, awareness and like this kind of shame. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and trying to get rid of it and like not knowing how, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that would, that would lead you to do, to do some things that are um, pretty radical. Yeah. I think I have had, had some good um, dialogues. It's an interesting thing you said about like the culture of like collecting stuff. Yeah. I was just walking by some of the encampments the other day and they're putting out uh, like Halloween decorations. <laughs> like, oh wow! You, you wouldn't you wouldn't think of that, right? But like yeah, like decor decoration, and like yeah, a culture of like the stuff that they have, and like just I mean, just the same way that housed people show off like what they have, and like they want to show certain things and and not other things. Like the homeless, they want to show certain things and not other things, and like it's meaningful to them. Um, so yeah, I think. I think that's just an important analogy also yeah like the culture of homelessness is not like i have nothing and so i'm not going to show anything it's like no i'm, I'm going to show my halloween decorations <laughs> um but yeah some of the yeah the the spiritual conversations and a, a lot of a lot of them are really like aware of like uh i forget where i was we were at a gas station somewhere in northern california um and yeah i was just i was just talking to this guy i'll, I'll say his name was ben and Ben was just saying, I was like, yeah, like I'm aware that I have this substance abuse problem and I have, um, I have kids and I want to go visit them. And, you know, the mother of my kids is not taking good care of them. Hmm. And like, it made me really sad, but I also know that like, I don't have, like, I haven't developed, he didn't use these words, but <laughs> yeah. I haven't developed the virtue or the habit of like helping my kids to move from the situation they're in to a better situation. I want, I want really badly to work hard and to give them the life that they they deserve. They shouldn't be in the house that they're in. Their mother is not taking good care of them. The house is dirty, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I want to improve their, their state in life. I just don't have the habit to do it. And it's just, it was really heartbreaking. Um, yeah. Yeah. Having that conversation, he's, he's fully aware of it. He's not telling me, he's like, Oh yeah. Like, the mother's doing everything wrong and I'm the, I'm the hero. He's like, yeah, I want to do something right. And I can't, and it's really hard for me. And so that was just, that was really humbling for me. I mean, I've certainly felt yeah. like that too. I think we've all felt like that. It was like, I want to make this change. I just don't have the power to do it. Um, so that was a really, 
a really beautiful conversation and just openness. I mean, yeah. just because I'm, I'm dressed, I'm wearing this, this tunic and I'm wearing a rosary. Yeah. Um, the habit just really has, makes it easy for us to have these immediate spiritual conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not asking you for advice either, right? He's just sharing. Like, it's not like you're saying, friend, I'm glad you asked. Come with me. I'll point you to the Richmond Rescue Mission down the street. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, no. Yeah. That's, I think that's a really key point. I mean, yeah. certainly he had some corporal needs. There's no question. But he just wanted to talk. That is, if, if anyone gets any kind of message from me in this podcast, that's my message. They just want to talk and be seen mm. and enter in, into community with someone who like has the time and maybe like, yeah, experience to care. And yeah, some advice might be nice, but it doesn't, you don't need to give advice. You just need to listen and like talk with them and share some lived experience of like what it's like to face what seems like insurmountable suffering. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And you know, the, the a tent community is interesting that way too, because you're kind of by yourself in your tent, which, you know, let's say you're trying to um, take drugs you can do right. that alone, but you're also with other people and you're also with other right. people who don't think they're better than you. So, right. you, so, you yeah. Can, so even though there exactly. might be crazy and difficult neighbors there, mm -hmm. you're not alone and and you've got somebody yeah. who, who knows where you've been and knows where you're going. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, someone, someone who's walked, who's walking the same path that you are. Yeah. I think, I think there's a communal aspect to, to substance abuse. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I had a really funny experience um, that surprised me it was back before the pandemic. You could go to the San Francisco opera for 10 bucks for standing room. And I would take my small children and it's right by civic center, oh. the opera house. So you go from like the highest pinnacle of urbane culture to, you know, kind of a very gritty place. And so I took my kids to either Burger King or McDonald's and it was full of homeless people and, you know, like just young people kind of maybe runaways, you know, that kind of element. And the place was set up like a bunker. You could, you know, like you, you had to, Mm -hmm. pay through a little plastic window. You couldn't use the bathroom. And there was this man in a wheelchair who was trying to take his medicine and nobody there would could help him because they were behind this this thing. And so like he ordered his food and we, me and my two small kids, we brought it to him. We, we sat with him at the table. Um, his first name was Dave, I can tell you that. And uh, we just chatted. And then he says, go to the farmer's market outside and bring me some blueberries and he gives me $10. So me and my two small children who are like, you know, six and four or something or, or seven and five, we go to the organic market. We buy him some blueberries. We bring it back to him. Um, it was eight bucks <laughs> for blueberries. I give him his $2 back and he says, no, no, that's for you. So he gave me a tip, wow. you know? So wow. like it was, it was surreal. One, that the, the man had money. Two, that the man had his medicine, whatever that medicine was. It was, you know, it was like real medicine. It wasn't anything weird. <laughs> And three, that like he just couldn't get help at a McDonald's, you know, and he just right. um, the normal world was totally shut off to him. And, right. you know, exactly. and I think like if I hadn't been out, you know, on the weekend with my kids just having a great time, like if I'd been in a hurry to go to work, I wouldn't have, I, I don't think I would have stopped him. Yeah. And helped him. So. Yeah. So that is yeah. just who knows? Yeah, exactly. I think that's I think that's a great uh, example. Like you said, he's just closed off. Yeah, there's yeah. just this gap of like, well, you're that kind of person. Yeah. And we here at this McDonald's, <laughs> we're these kinds of people. And like, you know, we'll we'll let you come in a little bit so long as you don't like, you know, right. if you haven't you haven't peed on yourself or you've you've combed your hair, like yeah, we'll let you come in. Yeah. But it's it's just this arm's length. You're this other thing. And it's totally like 
yeah how how great of me to even like talk to you right it's like, no no right it's totally the opposite these are our, our masters and our lords these are the people <laughs> they, like this is this is lazarus uh mm-hmm. yeah i mean they're they're it's important for us to see them as a gift um if we if we see like if we see all suffering as just something to be avoided at all costs we're not ever going to progress i mean certainly in, in our natural virtue but supernatural virtue there's no chance um we have to enter into this com- this is what compassion is i see the suffering of another person and i know that, that that could be me and i have some idea of what that could be like and i'm going to feel for you as i feel for myself that's true and like enter into this relationship of yeah let me help you around in this mcdonald's let me help you got buy a sandwich he maybe even especially with mental illness let me assist you with like some rules of <laughs> the game of the house community. Like you have to kind of do and say certain things in order to get around in the house community. Um, so yeah, helping just people to bridge that gap yeah. is just an important part of our Christian life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now back in 2017, Pope Francis said, you know, when you see a man on the street, just give him a couple euros. He might spend it on mm-hmm. wine and maybe that's okay. And I, totally am with the holy father on that one that like a cup of wine somewhere on some street in rome is fine but i worry that if i give the man two dollars he's gonna go buy some drugs with it and therefore the money will get into the hands of the drug dealers and perpetuate a different problem not the wine guy Mm -hmm. um is that a you know what do you what do you think about our obligation can we just can we just give money to homeless people or it's or it's that's not even what it's about should we be giving time and attention yeah, I, I think it's it's a good message of Pope Francis is we can't we can't let like our concern, um, our our overall concern of like where is this money eventually going and like contemplating like oh yeah it could go here it could go there, we can't let that kind of speculation stop us from interacting with the homeless. If I could just kind of summarize his message that way, yeah, yeah, <laughs> certainly, yeah, like like a dollar or two. Um, is yeah, maybe it's in the collective, they're able to, to get some kind of drugs or something, but yeah, a dollar or two is not gonna, um, yeah, affect that too much. But, um, I do think it's important to kind of be able to make some kind of nuanced distinction of like, I can see this person is like trying to, or about to engage in some kind of drug deal. I'm not going to promote that. (laughs) I think it's generally a good idea to try to give food, um, and clothing as much as possible. Mm. Or, or whatever it is that that, that they need. Um, but it's also important, as you kind of touched on, um, it's not just about giving them stuff, but having a conversation and entering into a relationship with them, um, I think is really, is really key. And sometimes we can let the speculation of like, oh, I can't even talk to this person because maybe, yeah, they're violent or they smell, they smell gross or they're not rational. Um, again, certainly be aware of your safety. That's an important thing. But yeah, try to have a relationship with someone as opposed to just throwing stuff at them. That's um, great. Maybe that's what the money is for. It buys you a few minutes of time to say, mm-hmm. like, ah, here you go. And or yeah, you know. yeah, certainly. And I, I know, I know some people. I, I haven't done this personally, but I know some people are really good at just having their cars stocked with some kind of food or some kind of item they can give to them, even uh, yeah, gift cards, just so they're able to like have that conversation. So here's this Cliff Bar or whatever, but also. Yeah. What's your name? Where are you from? How long have you been out here? Yeah, just 
those kind of simple questions and I guarantee they'll, they'll start a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so this is, you've given us a lot of good advice for how to act as an individual. Is there a a ministry that you've seen work really well? Is this something you, you know, as a Dominican friar are involved in? Maybe the answer is no, but is there something you can, you know, like let's go on Saturday and feed the, and, and work in the soup kitchen, that kind of a thing or yeah, I, I think soup kitchens are actually are actually really helpful. Um, yeah, I think it's a good it's a good place to have a conversation because now they're they're coming um, and it's 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 helpful because they're coming to a place where where you have the food and they they want to be there, right? You know that they want to be there and they they have real needs that they're trying to seek there and they're going to sit down in probably your auditorium or whatever and you're able to kind of sit there and have a meal with them. I mean that's that's the epitome of community, right? Just having the meal, especially that theme in our Christian life. But yeah, um, yeah I think soup kitchens, wherever you are, is, is a great thing. I don't think there's like a national program that I would like support. Yeah. But um, yeah, go to go to your church soup kitchen or uh, even a secular soup kitchen is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, yeah, building relationships with them and finding out what their needs are. Yeah, right. Um, excellent. I, I would like to say that um, there's a lot of good papal encyclicals, uh, like yeah, church documents generally, about um, caring for the poor, for the impoverished. Um, not that people should be like <laughs> pouring over them if you mm-hmm. don't have time to do that, but at least just looking up some some of them. Um, one that I personally recommend, which is more about like world poverty and how wealthy nations interact with um, with poorer nations. Um, but it's also good for just this individual call and how how um, deeply connected it is to our Christian identity to care for the poor. So this document's called Populorum Progressio. It's by Paul VI, published in 1967. Um, just skimming through that, I think, will give us some good principles of how important that is to our Christian identity. And, and, what, is, and what does he say? Um, yeah, he, he says a lot of different things, but um, maybe just like a good summary part I can quote here is that um, God intended the earth and everything in it for the use of all human beings and peoples. Thus, under the leadership of justice and in the company of charity, created goods should should flow fairly to all people. Um, and then he goes on to say, all our other rights, whatever they may be, like very true rights, including the rights of property and free trade are subordinate to this principle of created goods flowing fairly to all people. Our, our rights like property and free trade should in no way hinder the free flowing of goods to the impoverished. I think that's a really important message. And we talked about this, um, this section of Luke 16 earlier with Lazarus and the rich man. Um, it's, it's a really important message of like, whenever I have surplus mm-hmm. that I'm not giving away, I'm just like wasting surplus. We can, we can properly think about this as stealing from the poor. Hmm. Um, something my, my Dominican classmates have been, have been good at helping me realize that's, that's an important message of yeah. the poor have real rights to the things that we're using and just throwing away. They have a right to them in a very real sense. Um, and so anytime we're just, throwing away surplus, we're taking away from the poor. That's an important message. Yeah, which is just astounding in a time when we have so much surplus. Right. You know, 2,000 right. years ago, you, what you caught on that fishing boat is what you had for the week. 
now we have refrigeration and we have so much money and so much storage and, mm. you know, closets filled with clothes we don't wear. And we, yeah. we just become so efficient. Our society can produce goods like uh, it's just out of this world. Um, it's it's really interesting that, that we um, are not good at figuring out how to efficiently share it with people. So that it doesn't end up sitting in some box somewhere you know, on some, on some dock or warehouse. But yeah, I think the more locally we can figure out how to do that, you know, where, where you see what's happening with the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe the easiest thing yeah. is to do is just click online for, you know, Catholic relief services, but uh, yeah. Um, Cause yeah. I, I, I trust that, you know, the, the brothers and sisters on the ground know what they're doing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a good principle. Yeah. Catholic relief services and yeah. Catholic charities generally is one yeah. that just came to mind. Um, yeah. And also like, no doubt, like I said, in this people encyclical, the goods are important and giving them is good when we have surplus, but also like we can think of our like emotional or charitable bandwidth hmm. as limited. It's not, I mean, certainly there's times where you need to like, um, you know, reset and gain energy from resting. Rest is important. I'm not saying that it's not, yeah. but the more we give, like, like love isn't something that diminishes, like the more you love and enter into those unions with other people, it just grows. It doesn't diminish. So um, not only will they be happier, but you'll be happier oh, because amen. you're engaging this relationship. So it's not just one-sided. That's beautiful. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel. Um, I have, I, I would love to keep going. I have to, I have to go wake up my kid and get her to middle school. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> I need to go to morning prayer. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Would you, would you conclude for us with a, with a prayer or a blessing? Yeah, sure. In the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for this time together with Chris. Thank you for inspiring us to talk about these messages that you have for us, this gospel message that's so important to our Christian identity and for union in our communities. Inspire us to follow you and caring deeply for the poor and doing whatever we can to help them. Help us enter into relationships with them. Help us to be safe when we do so. And may these friendships bring us closer to you in everlasting life. St. Therese of Lisieux, pray for us. Hmm. St. Dominic, pray for us. St. Catherine of Siena, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. And hail, hail the Word made flesh, the babe, the Son of Mary. Chris Odinitz and Brother John Vianney Russell recorded this conversation on October 3rd, 2022. It's the feast day of Blessed Columba Marmion, who wrote in 1915, the best of all preparations for the priesthood is to live each day with love wherever obedience and providence place us. It's German Unification Day because in 1990, East Germany rejoined the Federal Republic. And our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster. Check them out at gscoasterband.com. And our logo of the dog with the torch is from the Monastery of Santo Domingo de Silos from the website of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales at english.op.org. 
I'm Chris Odinitz. I thank you for listening. I encourage you to email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com, and I'll talk to you soon. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and